Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. Appreciate that. Happy 75th to the state of Israel. What were your thoughts uh, that uh, during this week when Israel turned 75 years old, uh, years ago, as I've mentioned many, many times this week, years ago, if you would have told those uh, in our community worldwide in the early 1940s that by the time you get to 2023, we'd have a thriving and incredible, I'm not going to say superpower, but certainly powerful state of Israel that would be 75 years old, they would have found that very hard to believe. Very hard to believe the accomplishments, the achievements, because the focus is always on the negative. When you think that there are 9.3 million people in Israel and 75% uh, or over 70% Jewish, that Israel has emerged as a high-tech center, as a military model, as as water independence, energy independence, has more trees today than they had 50 years ago, the only country in the world the fourth happiest country in the world, at least before the demonstrations. And um, you think of the the focus is always on the negatives and on the the tsaras. And we we dare not lose sight of all the brachot and all the blessings that Israel has had and and the amazing achievements. Um, Because if you you don't, if you only focus on the negatives, and you don't appreciate the miracles that don't happen. Someone said to me, uh, actually this was pointed out by more than one person, uh, that they felt over the last few years there has been a, uh, uh, a much more positive attitude from all areas of our community when it comes to Israel. There are those who are cynical. There are those who looked at Zionism a certain way, certainly looked at the development of the state a certain way. And it seems that this concept that we've been talking about for the last 40 years of do whatever you want on the 5th of ER, but at least recognize the miracle of the day, it looks like more and more of that is happening. I think there are a couple of factors here. One is that there are two trends. One of alienation amongst young people much of it based on ignorance, uh, and the statistics all show it, uh, but it's also distancing from the Jewish community and a, and a general overall um, uh, sense of uh, lack of knowledge, lack of information, lack of education. When you see the studies or the Hebrew schools, the afternoon Hebrew schools have diminished so greatly. So in the communities where people are involved, the, it is a greater sense of attachment because Travel is much easier. There's a lot of business exchanges going on. There are everybody's, uh, all the children who go to study and learn in Israel, uh, the young people who who go, uh, all of these are building uh, closer connections and and ties between with Israel and outside. But also you you do have, uh, you know, the concerns and, and the more willingness of people to be openly critical of Israel, which is, so dangerous. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything or, or not comment, but you have to think about what damage the words do that, that um, uh, when people express it. And I think the other factor is that the increase in anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, anti-Israelism all being tied together and something we've always discussed that, you know, people who think they mean just Israel don't understand that Israel is the collective Jew. 
yep. that Israel, it's, it's, it's okay to say I hate Israel, even if you can't say I hate Jews publicly, although increasingly you can. And I think that the rise of anti-Semitism has made many people appreciate much more the significance of Israel, and not just as a refuge, but as, a, as a, uh, an option that, that uh, Jews have today that previous generations didn't. And I think that as Jews um, over the last few years of all different backgrounds had begun to, uh, those who weren't uh, beforehand, had begun to warm up to the Israeli soldiers and appreciate their role, what you just said in terms of uh, uh, people understanding uh, how they, meaning the soldiers, are protecting all of us, no matter where we are uh, in the world. Their presence makes such a difference, especially with all the anti-Semitism out there. I think that's a major factor as well. And speaking of which, uh, before we got to Yom Atzimut, before we got to the 75th birthday of the State of Israel, of course, Israel Memorial Day was observed. It seems that the fears uh, that were being discussed last week about how uh, that day could be politicized and mishandled by government officials in Israel actually went off pretty easily without a hitch, so to speak. How do you explain that everybody was able to set all of that aside and observe Israel Memorial Day properly? I think the victims of terror uh, families were the ones who really dictated the depolitization of the events. In fact, insisting that political leaders not attend, and they did not attend any of the memorial services. And where they did, there were contentious situations. But um, very contained, I would say. And I think because people rise above it for those 24, 48 hours, both in terms of the celebrations and you, you saw the um, uh, way that uh, people were greeted in different communities with even demonstrators on both sides were greeted by people with uh, refreshments, with water, haredim and uh, non-haredim and the, the ability to see a little bit beyond the moment uh, was in evidence, but I think that the, the families themselves are the ones who, who really set the tone uh, for it. And I think people also need a break. They're, they're so, it's so heavy in all the 15 weeks of demonstrations and the, the sense of divisiveness and, and which I think is, is exaggerated. There are differences of opinion. There are, uh, political differences that run deep, but I think when it comes to the bottom line, People are there, they unify in the face of some of the challenges that we have, and they all want to see Israel succeed. Yesterday's very um, large pro-judicial reform demonstration, would you just put that in the same category as the others, just another demonstration, or was yesterday uh, different than what we had seen prior to that? No, I think it was the other side finding its voice, and um, I think it's a mistake uh, when you start announcing Million March, and you only have half a million or a quarter of a million, then it's, it's seen as uh, not living up to the expectation when, in fact, it was a very large turnout. Um, they say 200,000 on 50, could be 250, um, which is a remarkable demonstration in Jerusalem uh, as opposed to the others who were in the Tel Aviv area, although they've spread around the country. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, it fits into the general trend of what we've seen. 
Malcolm, one of the columnists wrote that uh, <laughs> that um, so many people in Israel would just love to avoid this issue completely. I mean, they would love to see it not get back into the discussion of the Knesset, which, you know, I, I understand that, uh, especially if you do believe that it's going to lead only to more divisiveness and, and another very challenging period of time. It's interesting that there are certain things that Israeli government officials have been very good at, you know, kicking the can down the road, especially, you know, Haredim in the army. I think that's one of the classic examples, how they're always able to avoid it. Do you think this is avoidable? Like, is the judicial reform issue, which again has now been postponed, is it possible to, you know, to, to simply ignore it going forward or it's have to, it's have to go, it's going to have to be addressed at some point by the Knesset? Well, I think the last uh, words you said are really um, answered that at some point it has to be addressed. I don't think people are pressing right now. So far, there is no resolution. I think the people want to see a compromise. The people of Israel want to see a compromise. And many of the political leaders, including those who were the strongest proponents of this, have modified their stands and are looking for some resolution. I think that they, are, that they will pick one or two aspects that they will focus on uh, so that there will be a reform because everybody wants a reform and by and large it's it's across the board uh, but this is a political issue that they that those who oppose the election outcome have latched onto there have not been good faith negotiations from what i understand uh, people really you know cracking down and the president has made numerous efforts others have made efforts to intervene to to try and reach a resolution i think it isn't that difficult on specific issues uh, but uh, it'll probably be a much more modified package and it will be um, on consensus where they can build a consensus pretty broad consensus uh, you know i don't know that you'll get a 61 vote majority will not as far as I can see, would never be part of it, if either a larger number or that would be one of the things he put aside. And you start moving on the reforms about appointments, et cetera. Right. So, yes, I do believe that uh, we can come to some sort of uh, um, resolution that people can live with for now. But the political activism, I don't think, will be will be stopped now. People are feeling their oats. They feel that they... I've been mobilized. A lot of young people now have been introduced into political activism, which may be good, but uh, I, I don't think, and, and we may see it on a lot of other issues now. And I don't, I don't want to get mired in the calendar aspect of this, but I just just one more point. So just so I understand it, because it seemed when they postponed it, it was postponed to a point where it, it's going to, ha- there's no choice but, but for it to be addressed. Is it possible that I don't know that if things continue to be delayed and and uh, and and they hem and haw in terms of trying to you know schedule some type of compromise meeting that this really could go on for another six months or a year is that possible? Sure. Oh, okay. And they can put up. There's no. I don't know why I looked at this as if there's like a yeah, deadline. because they said that they said that they have to do it in the summer session. Right. Um, and I think that there are periods when you can introduce uh, such legislative initiatives. But if if the feeling is that this is going to diminish Israel's ability, and yet all these guys in the military coming out and saying that it weakens us, and that the, I mean, I've heard from leaders in the region saying to trying to understand what's going on and saying they're concerned about stability of Israel. Israel's stability is fine, but the this um, these divisive this divisiveness um, obviously takes a toll, and. I, you know, I think there's been foreign interference. I think there's a lot of things that we'll clarify later on, 
But for now, I think the important thing is to get people to refocus on, on the common agendas and the security of Israel facing real challenges with Iran building up the circle around Israel, the axis of resistance, as they call it, going with the Houthis in Iraq and in Syria in Lebanon, the weakness in Jordan that they face, and certainly from Gaza. Um, you need a, you need to have the government clear-headed to focus on it and to address the increasing challenges. Oh, understood. Um, what are your thoughts when there's a public event in Iran and people start chanting death to Palestine and the pro-Israel sentiments? So it's really remarkable, uh, and I'm glad that you noticed it because very few people did and nobody even talks about it. And certainly the media doesn't report it, but all over Iran there were events, sporting events, other occasions, where people who used to say, we will not die for Hezbollah, we will not die for Hamas, we will die for Iran. This year, the, the, the mantra that was heard and, and from young people was, death to the Palestinians, long live Israel. There were even challenges in Khomeini's presence uh, with some of these things, but to, at the, um, the Ramadan futsal match, they, they said, long live Israel, down with the Palestinians. And the, the associations are obviously uh, very clear, but it wasn't just one or, or two things. Um, in Mashhad, a religious city, we've seen uh, uh, such manifestations. Um, even, again, the women's demonstrations, there's the Saturday, the Saturday campaign where women uh, take off the hijab and, uh, you know, even though they know the potential price that they could pay and the uh, some of the signs that they have, put up it, it's really quite remarkable and yet no coverage no discussion uh, the visit of Pahlavi uh, Reza Pahlavi the son of the late Shah to Israel got a lot of coverage internally in in Iran and people started chanting for him at uh, some of these um, these events so it's really uh, amazing when they started to see the videos of them yelling bless your soul towards um, Reza Pahlavi, and I think um, that wasn't you a know, it tells us the possibilities, which that, we've talked about many times. That wasn't a mistake for Israel to host him, was it? He wanted to go. Why would the, why they shouldn't turn him down, I think, like others who want to visit? Right. And and what does it say? It, 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 um, you know, the Iranians aren't going to change their attitude towards Israel if they'd said no to him, and the the, uh, it's his initiative. It was a private visit. He had got some governmental meetings. Uh, he went to the hotel. He did other things. Uh, I think it was a meaningful visit. He pulled at DeSantis. So um, I don't have it in front of me. An Iranian cleric, I believe a member of government, was actually killed this week, right? Am I right about that? I think I saw that. A high-ranking Ayatollah, very close to uh, Khamenei, was sitting in a bank, and the bank guard walked up behind him, calmly shot him, killed him, uh, and walked out. Now, is that part of this whole atmosphere? Because of the, you know, what we just described, what you just described? I don't know. I don't know what the the agenda was, but it's uh, whether this was a targeted assassination or just one of the expressions. But when you see how calmly the guy does it, it's because it, this video of it has been circulated, it's it's astonishing. Yeah. I just wonder if not for this whole, 
you know, atmosphere that's now in Iran with obviously, you know, anti-government forces probably feeling as confident as they have in God knows how long, right? If the, if people are chanting death to Palestine and, and uh, you know, complimenting Israel, I'm just wondering if that whole atmosphere is, you know, lending itself to a whole anti-government um, uh, level that we haven't seen in Iran recently. Well, you know, the economic conditions are terrible despite the fact that they're making more money today from oil exports than they ever did and because the price of oil going up and as Russia and Saudi Arabia are both cutting production probably by a million barrels each that uh, the price will continue to be high and they will continue to make money but Iran has been exporting more and more oil from Russia and they make money on that they sell to their oil to China they the uh, Government, our government as well, is not imposing the restrictions and the sanctions on the sales, even though more people are coming under U.S. sanctions who have been involved in uh, some of the activities in, the, um, in, in both in Iran and in the region. But generally, Iran is, is um, benefiting, and they, they, their financial numbers that they start putting out, nobody knows what's true and not true. But the internal dissension is there. They get no support from the West. Nobody talks about them. The Iranians talk about their fear of the Azeri-Turkey-Israel alliance, which encircles them to counter the encirclement of, uh, of Israel. Uh, and they've been uh, rattling their sabers at Azerbaijan for a while. Uh, and, you know, at times even built up their troops along the border, but Azerbaijan has been very tough in their in their responses and has the magic card of 30 million Azeris living in Iran that uh, sort of is a check on, on what Iran does. But the, um, uh, you know, the, the situation itself of Iran, it's collective situation. They think that things are moving in their favor. They've been selling huge amounts of ammunition to uh, Russia for Ukraine delivering, and uh, and the sanctions seem to be very mild in their impact on them. Mm. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world. The web at NachumSingle.com on the NachumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents, major American Jewish organizations. Because I was thinking, taking it even a step further. Um, with my theory here, uh, I mean, the United Nations Security Council actually condemned the Taliban for their treatment of women this week, right? I mean, that's right. Uh, and I and I assume that's a rarity like that. That that really yeah. that really is news, right? Or not? It's news, but it's so blatant what they've done by, by barring them from education, essentially from jobs. From I mean, it's so open. Uh, but I'm very just very hard conceive that they wouldn't but i'm just wondering if people are taking to the streets especially in iran but probably other places as well i would assume if people are really you know demonstrating you know anti-government um uh, um uh, feelings especially when you know the government is being unreasonable uh, i'm thinking maybe the united nations security council finally felt brave enough to you know to do this uh, if, if conditions were different they would have just you know followed what they normally do and stay silent on the issue yeah, but this is a women's issue. It's not a political issue, and uh, Taliban is an easier target. Mm. Um, you know, the, you don't see measures of solidarity when the, the energy sector went on strike for three days, uh, and there's not even a mention to the nationwide petrochemical companies and others. People are doing amazingly courageous things in Iran, but that doesn't get 
the coverage and the women right. who still demonstrate and the people who are sitting in jail, the thousands who are in jail. So going after this thing on the Taliban, which I think is important, but it's it's um, low hanging you know, the low hanging fruit. Exactly. Understood. What did you I mentioned it earlier in passing? What do you think of the Santos visit to Israel? Uh, he was invited to come and speak at um, the, the dedication of new facilities. And, um, you know, I think it's good. And every time anybody goes and tells a positive story and uh, has the opportunity to be exposed to the reality of Israel, it only is to the good. Yeah, and the reality is that he's extremely popular in this country among a pretty important block of voters. So uh, it can only be good if he's saying positive things about Israel, certainly. Why does Germany want the Arrow Missile Defense System? Because they need it. For? For defense, for uh, the threat that, that exists of the missiles from Ukraine, from other places, that, um, uh, you know, they they have not done that much in terms of their own defense systems, and the arrow is uh, perfect for the geographic distribution that they have. to. You know, each of the missile systems is targeted to a missile launched from a certain distance, because the arc of the missile determines what kind of counter missile you, you shoot. Um, so for for Germany, they determined quite a while ago and have been trying to get the arrow missile system for a long time. What does it say about Israeli uh, technological defense systems that it's in demand by it, European countries? Uh, well, if you, Israeli arms have been uh, much more in evidence in various European countries for quite a while, and that includes tanks and other technologies that Israel has developed. You know, they bought these subs and tanks from uh, different countries, and they enhance it. And what they buy from the United States, they put in their own avionics and in the planes and some of the jets that, that then the United States adapts as well. So it's um, there's a long history, and it's, it's a really, again, another reflection of the amazing achievements. What were the Israeli tanks like 75 years ago during the War of Independence? They were makeshift. They were, uh, first of all, they didn't have many tanks. And they, <laughs> what they had were probably cars, you know, that were armored. And um, they got the, they did get a few tanks, I think, even from uh, Czechoslovakia or wherever. But, you know, they were dropping seltzer bottles, uh, as you know, from airplanes to yeah. explode. And they had very limited resources. Uh. The amazing thing that they fought against the, the, the Jordanian Legion, which had been armed by Britain, trained by Britain, had all this uh, had really up-to-date equipment, and the Israelis were fighting with bee shooters compared to it. And that's one front that you just described. One of many, and we have today many fronts. And you see the sophistication of what uh, Hezbollah has. They're more and more updated. The guidance systems. Iran is shipping in equipment all the time, and they're taking advantage of the aid shipments, the convoys that go in to bring aid to the earthquake area in Syria to send in uh, sophisticated equipment in Israel has the challenge of taking out one truck out of 19 to prevent uh, these weapons from reaching both the militias that are in the Iranian militias that are in, in uh, Syria, the Hezbollah uh, groups, the Wagner group is very active there. We see uh, growing challenges and, and a missile fired even there. Uh, and as of course in, in Lebanon where Hezbollah sits with 150,000 missiles and uh, huge infrastructure, Gaza as well, and uh, they have, they just fired some missiles into the sea, which they were testing. They're getting more range on, on their missiles. So Israel, uh, you know, faces this, this challenge, and you have the Houthis who can reach from Yemen into Israel, another part of the overall plan that, that Iran has. 
but thank God, I think Israel is aware of it and doing what it can. It has uh, submarines in the um, Persian Gulf. It has uh, capacities which are known and unknown. When you're living through the miracle, it's very hard to see it very often. That's true. And it's unbelievable. That those who recognized it and uh, continue to tell their children and grandchildren that message, call like a vote to them. Because it is hard to see the forest from the trees when you're going through a miraculous time. When makeshift tanks, as you described, are taking on well-trained armies on multiple fronts. Uh, the whole thing is amazing. And I really hope that everybody communicated to their own children, to their students, to those that they spent time with this week uh, on the theme of Israel independence. I really hope that that message was communicated and communicated well. Will Israel's foreign minister meet with officials from Saudi Arabia? I mean, he would like to. I always thought that once Saudi Arabia made this uh, you know, gesture toward Iran, that they should be marginalized and there would be no reason for Israel to, or the United States, uh, to recognize them at this point as a potential partner. But I guess, as you just said, nothing wrong with talking. Is that it? Well, it's not nothing wrong. It's, it's still important. And we don't know the degree to which this deal is um, yeah, a long-term Why don't we know shift? Because the, the basic divisions, the Sunni-Shiite conflict, the, the conflict of interest, because Iran still has its designs on the holy city to Mecca Medina, they, they, the existence of, uh, of the Saudi regime is a challenge to them. They want to control Katif, the oil-rich area, which is populated largely by Shia populations. And I met this week with some leaders from the region, and their assessment was much more sober about what's happened, and they don't rule out that Saudi Arabia might continue. Part of it has to do with a message to the United States. They feel the United States has right. removed itself from the region, China, you know, as we've said many times, you know, politics abhors a vacuum as well. China has stepped into it. Russia has stepped into it. But China is the largest purchaser of oil for both Saudi Arabia and Iran. So they brokered a deal which had already been cooked up long before in the negotiations in Iraq and in Oman. So you have to look at what, what is the agenda. Saudi Arabia has one primary thing. They want to get the war in, in Yemen under control, and the Houthis are, key, you know, are the key party, and they are supplied by Iran. Iran said they're not going to stop supplying uh, Houthis just this week. So the underlying causes, and, and uh, uh, Saudi Arabia hosts the Iran national television broadcasters, which the, government wanted, the Iranian government wanted to stop because they were supporting the demonstrations, and they blame it like an Al Jazeera-like uh, influence in the region negative to Iran. And Iran has been benefiting and feeling strength because of the deals with Russia, because of the increased income. There's still a disastrous condition. The economy is in ruins. The people are are more and more against the government. Uh, so you can't just judge it on the surface. Right. There are multiple messages that are sent in this case, and ultimately, we don't know also the internal divisions in Saudi Arabia between the crown prince and the king, between various factions who seem to be reemerging, including some with ties to Muslim Brotherhood. It's hard to tell what what the game is, and others who believe that because of what they did with Iran, they may have more leeway to do stuff with Israel. But frankly, if it's going to happen, it's got to be done quietly. Right. The Saudis don't like, you know, these things done publicly. Look, I mean, and, uh, frankly, we see that often with the United States and Israel. You've described that a million times where you know, they may make public statements about certain things. But in the end, when it comes to co cooperation behind the scenes, it couldn't be uh, it couldn't be they couldn't be more cooperative. 
So right. maybe, maybe I, I mean, I never considered that, that uh, Saudi Arabia has to have a certain profile out there, their public profile, so to speak, but in, and we, which, you know, safeguards them in certain ways when it comes to certain issues. But the reality is that they're, uh, you know, more than willing to deal with Israel uh, if it's to their advantage uh, or, or if it's, you know, important to what they consider the safety of the region in the near future. Um is it possible that a Sudanese hacker is responsible for electric outlet, electric um, blackouts in Israel? Yes, and it's very disturbing because, um, you know, this is a, a potentially in a time of uh, war or anything a real threat, but it's a threat not just from, from there. It, it, the threats from Iranians are doing it every day, every day. Uh, and sometimes many attacks in a single day. Israel does the same, uh, and but Israel has built up a tremendous cyber security capacity. It's obviously not foolproof, and we saw it uh, this week with the electrical outlet uh, blackouts. Uh, so yes, this is the new world, and and the, it's a very vulnerable system. Uh, and when everybody is dependent on the, the computers and on the, right. the networks, the Internet, it's, uh, yeah, so, it's, a, it's a new front. So it's miraculous that we have electricity at all, frankly. <laughs> right, and it's not just there. You don't think there are multiple attacks against the United States every day? Every day. Sometimes there are thousands of these attacks in a, in a single day around the world, and every country in the world is affected by it. Now, Israel has enemies that, you know, there are groups in, in Ukraine, Russia, um, other Iran. And so when you have state sponsors sometimes involved in this, and certainly the Palestinian Authority, uh, others who have been working on these things for a long time and who sponsor the creation of all the anti-Semitic and, and really hate-filled uh, sites and produce them on an ongoing basis at a rapid rate, it's impossible to, to counter it all. Uh, anything to do with what's uh, happening in the Sudan in general now or a completely independent thing that it just happens to be this hacker is there? No, it's, it's, I think it's uh, relatively independent. Uh, it's an internal division between two generals uh, and uh, has significance. And Sudan is, I think, the third largest country in Africa. Uh, and uh, what happens there could have broader implications. As you know, they did initiate the process. It's not fulfilled with uh, Israel and being part of the Abraham Accord. And, uh, you know, uh, a shift in, in uh, the regime there to something more hostile has broad implications, especially for Egypt, which has a big border with them. It's, uh, you know, nobody knows where the Sudan is. And if you talk about it, you know, they have some image from uh, of Khartoum uh, from a movie, but <laughs> it is uh, strategically important. Um, and so if, so if, um, hackers are, are ineffective or unsuccessful, it's because of good cybersecurity, like what you described that Israel has. That's essentially they, what it and, is. Uh, they have a cyber center in, in Beersheba. They have others. They have companies. Obviously they're, they're amongst the leaders in the world in, in cybersecurity. And of course it stays at home as well. But yes, it's because they are able to to prevent it. As is the United States is, uh, you know, our agencies are working all the time right. in trying to counter it. Hard to stay ahead of the bad guys, you know. Not it's easy. What? It's hard to stay ahead of the bad guys. You know, it's hard to and to identify them. That's, and oh, and right. when you're working in the dark web, it's very hard to know who's doing what. And and yet we know that there are state sponsors, and we have to go to those who make it possible to finance and engage in this kind of incitement and really hold them to account. 
Are you surprised that we are hearing so little relatively about what's going on between Russia and the Ukraine? And was there, in fact, an assassination attempt this week on Vladimir Putin? So I don't know about the uh, I know about the reports on it, but it's very hard to know what uh, the truth is in in Russia. It's a closed society, and certainly media is controlled. So we don't know. We know that there is um, uh, some dissonance in Russia. They can't speak publicly. There have been people arrested. There are people who are, um, you know, they've been there have been clamped down uh, internally. We don't hear more because people don't have a sustaining audience in the, but even here in America the, but, but around the, the world. Even the media doesn't. Like the, uh, I'm the, saying to you, because it's because you know the story ran. This is, we're doing now the summer reruns of the war in, <laughs> in the Ukraine, and you know people to tune out and they they you see that there's a growing resistance about America's involvement there. Uh, some of the European countries you see are diminishing their their focus on it because you know and initially to stop the aggression and et cetera people stand but once it starts costing as much as it is you know we 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 have drained the uh, storage the um, uh, preplacement of a billion dollars in equipment in Israel for instance in the Negev which is available to Israel in a time of war uh, and they can draw it down they pay for it. But otherwise, it's prepositioned in in Israel for American troops, uh, as we have it in Korea, yeah. and we draw down most of that stuff. So now Israel feels also challenged by this, right. uh, as does the uh, South Korea, and and we don't have the capacity. It seems to replenish uh, those stocks, and we're draining uh, equipment. There's only a few factories that make the gunpowder and stuff that that weapons need and. One of them had a big fire here in the United States. So I think it, it cut out a lot of supplies. And our capacity, our manufacturing capacity is limited. So our troops, American troops, are, are being stripped of equipment, our allies and the as well. And people, you know, you see growing uh, questioning as uh, of how long can we sustain this pouring billions and billions of dollars into it. All right. Oh, by the way, I want to, I want to mention that um, uh, the person who was arrested in the uh, anti-Semitic uh, attack on a member of the Borgen family here in New York. So you may recall it was supposed to be a, a plea deal for six months, etc. Ended up getting 18 months in prison. That was the sentence. And every article that I read about it credited the Jewish community for not accepting what was going on uh, in the DA's office and uh, making sure uh, to have their voices heard that the uh, that the punishment has to be a stronger one. So if that's true, that speaking up you know helped in this case, then it's a lesson we all need to learn. Absolutely, and this is a, and with all the number uh, with the increasing number of attacks. And the system that we have, uh, the Nobel, the, the, the revolving door justice system, if people will speak up and stand up, you see that judges, as well as the DA and others, respond to it. He was supposed to get six months, right. which means less by the time he gets out. Right. And, and now got a, a year and a half, which is still much too, too uh, soft a sentence, right. uh, but, but much better. And it, and it should inspire people that if we don't speak up against these guys, they're all recidivists, or, or many of them are recidivists, and, and those who have been arrested, you know, have been guilty of uh, previous attacks, and especially because they can attack three hours after they get arrested because they get out right away. Right. Yeah, well, I was glad to see the Jewish community was credited with keeping the pressure on in that case. Mr. Holmline, I thank you very much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week.
God willing, and everybody have a good Shabbos and continue to celebrate Israel and, and the privilege that this generation has, regardless of your political views or whatever, that uh, it's a nice and that we have to show Kaddish Baruch Hu that we appreciate it. 100%. It's been a great week for that. Let's keep it going. Malcolm Holmline is Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the A.